with me. Dear Lord, thank you so much for another day, another opportunity to come here together, this place of worship to come and grow closer to you and uh, to grow in uh, our discipleship, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to partake of the manna, the, the bread of life today, and protect the seed of your word in our hearts and cause it to Bear fruit in our lives, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, and uh, a lot of people like to enjoy that, uh, that sort of thing, although I always like to shed a little light on St. Patrick's Day, on St. Patrick in particular. Because the, I think in large part the world has no idea who St. Patrick is. He was born in the 4th century in Roman Britain. Which in England was under Roman occupation at the time. But he was kidnapped by Irish raiders when he was 16 years old. Pirates, <laughs> and he was taken to Gaelic Ireland, where he worked as a, a shepherd boy for six years as a slave, and then God told him one night to escape and to go to the coast where a ship would be waiting to take him home, and he did, and Back in England, he grew to become a man. He became a priest. And then he returned to Northern Ireland to preach the gospel and to convert the pagan Irish to Christianity. And he was very, very successful. So when I say the world doesn't know St. Patrick, I mean that, and I want them to know him because he's a good one to know about, to model our lives about. St. Patrick was not a green beer drinking leprechaun. He was a spirit-filled, miracle-working lover of Jesus who shook a whole pagan nation with the gospel. I've got here a quote from the life and times of St. Patrick. He said, for the blind and the lame, the deaf and the dumb, the palsied, the lunatic, the leprous, the epileptic, all who labored under any disease, did he, St. Patrick, in the name of the Holy Trinity, restore unto the power of their limbs and unto entire health. And in these good deeds was he daily practiced. Thirty and three dead men, some of whom have been many years buried, did this great reviver raise from the dead. He used the three-leaf clover to preach the gospel, to teach people about the Holy Trinity as an illustration. And that's why we wear green today on St. Patrick's Day, or many people do. So, I would say we ought to celebrate the St. Patrick's Day by 
preaching the gospel and telling people about this great man of God and do like he did. Take up our authority in Christ and heal the sick and encourage those and teach about our blessed Trinity and raise the dead and cast out devils. Amen? You know, the Lord is still in that business today. It's only two weeks till Easter. Resurrection Sunday. It's on April 1st this year. Strange. I think it was on the 23rd last year. It bounces around a lot. It has to do with the moon instead of the date. It was first of all started. It was it centered around uh, the Jewish holiday of Passover. But but that changed so much that they decided to do it on the the new moon or something like that. So, but it still jumps around. It's not on a set day. But that's why. So we've only got two weeks until Easter this year. And I want to talk a little bit as we continue to walk with the Lord and to learn about Him, His life, His ways, so that we can mimic Him to the best of our ability with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God working in our lives to increase our effectiveness, as it were, as Christians. This is a, a good time of year to, to think about these things and to uh, what I would call a season of resolve. I, the Lord gave me that word a couple of years ago and I preached it in a, a church in Dallas and uh, and it's, uh, it's been with me ever since, and I, I like to talk about that from time to time. The word resolve in the dictionary as a, a verb, it just says to decide firmly on a course of action. Make up our mind. To determine or to decide about something. The noun of it just says firm determination to do something. The Christian life, as God intended, is a choice, isn't it? To fulfill God's purpose for our lives and not our own will for our lives. And that's the trick, isn't it? Faith without works is dead. Jesus said, and by their fruits you shall know them. Talking about us. In other words, like it says on the front of your bulletin today, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. Now, if you're a car, it's much better for you if you park yourself and get parked in a garage, isn't it? And if you're a Christian, you'd be wise to... Be amongst fellow believers in your local church or wherever you have prayed and God has assigned you even better. But Jesus, I want you to look in the Gospel of Luke today if you have your Bibles or a device or whatever. If not, just listen and read along. We'll have all this posted up online in a little while. And uh, we'd like to welcome all of those listening around the world. Tonight, our hearts are, are with someone, especially in East Texas, but just as well in East Berlin. Amen? 
We have listeners in London, England, and uh, in Japan, and South Korea, Amsterdam, lots in California, which is not really another country. It just seems like it. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to all of you. Praise God. Look in the Gospel of Luke chapter 9, talking about resolve. Let's look in on Jesus If we want to learn about resolve, why not look to the master? Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And I'm just going to read probably through 56. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. When the days draw near, or when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, He set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Jesus, he's talking about as the days drew near for him to be taken up. Talking about the days days drew near for him to be crucified on the cross. He was fulfilling the, the balance of the The mission, the plan that God had laid out for him, and nothing was going to interrupt that. He had great resolve. He had his mind made up. Nothing was going to sway him from his purpose. Thanks be to God that he was one of great resolve. He could have just threw in the towel and said, forget this, Father, take me home. And God could have wiped us all out and started fresh with just Jesus. But he didn't. He fulfilled his destiny. His mind was made up no matter what. But why? Notice it doesn't say when it was time to be crucified. Although that's the event that we remember. It didn't say when it was time to die on the cross. It says when it was time to be taken up. Time to go to heaven. Jesus talks about laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven and not on this earth, doesn't he? In Matthew chapter 6. My point about this whole passage of scripture is that Jesus was heaven minded. He was kingdom minded. And we would be wise to do as Jesus did and not get attached to the things of this world. The Bible teaches us that a friend of the world is an enemy of God. The next verse, verse 52 in that section, shows us something about rejection. Jesus had sent messengers ahead of him into the village of the Samaritans to make preparations, but the the people didn't even receive him. They didn't want him. 
Why? Because they found out that his heart was set to go to Jerusalem. They hated the Jews. They were a mixed breed from the time when when Israel had been invaded by the Babylonians and things like that. There was some mixing of blood there and they, they hated each other. It was an ethnic thing, a racial thing. And they didn't want him. He was rejected. The king of kings and lord of lords, their own creator, they rejected. But Jesus had great resolve and determination. And we have to keep our resolve and determination, even in the midst of rejection. Because as Christians in this world, you will suffer persecution. If you... If you never run into the devil because of your faith, maybe you're traveling the same direction. Because the Bible teaches us that we will suffer persecution. Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ, and all you have to do is turn on the television to see that reality. Everyone is... Everyone is protected in this world these days, especially in our nation, except for Christians, except for the unborn, things that shouldn't be. But how do we keep our resolve in the midst of this kind of adversity? First, I would just say it's a matter of space. This is something that I've been struggling with this week myself as I'm working basically two or three jobs and and uh, I find myself at the end of the day doing what I always tell people is uh, against God to do and that's saying, Lord, I don't have enough time to do everything I was supposed to do. Now, what's my counsel to anyone who tells me that go back to the throne and find out what you're doing that he didn't ask you to do because he's the creator of time he created the perfect plan for your life if he didn't give you enough time to do the things he's asked you to do he would not be righteous in doing so would he so there's something in there that we're doing that he didn't ask us to do but we need to keep close to jesus that's what i mean by space We need to keep close to Him. When we find ourselves suffering anxiety and worry and depression and things like that, what you'll find is there's a void in there. There's too much space between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. People who pray a lot have a lot of power, a lot of confidence. People who spend a lot of time with the King have a lot better life than those of us who struggle doing that from time to time. I love the Lord and I I spend a lot of time with Him, but I can tell when I've neglected Him. I say I neglected Him because He's never going to neglect you. He's always there. But He's a gentleman. He's not going to force Himself on you. So, keep that space. Remember the, the temptation that Peter suffered for that very reason, right? In Luke 22, 54, Peter... That night that Jesus was arrested, Peter followed, as always, 
But in, in Luke 22, verse 54, it says one, something that you don't ever see again in Scripture. Peter followed at a distance. And that distance was just enough to allow temptation to come in, allow the devil to come in and whisper in his ear. And we know what happened. He had denied the Lord three times by the time the rooster crowed. So we need to talk to the Lord. We need to meditate on his truth, his promises, his love for us. Don't try so hard to love the Lord. Let him love you. Focus on his promises towards you and his love for you. And trust me, you'll love him. You'll love him. He's irresistible. He's amazing. He's good. He's faithful even when we're not. And he's for us, not against us. So a lot of, uh, a lot of the blame is with religion. And men like myself in the pulpit who are teaching wrong doctrine. Teaching people about an angry God that causes people to run from God and not to him. But that's a mistake. Anyway, maybe we'll get to all those preachers one day and, and get everybody turned around and headed in the right direction. Amen? Amen? We just don't want the Lord to take such a bad rap because he's not, he's not the one responsible for all the death and destruction in the world. He said himself in John 10.10, 10, The devil comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. So we want to... Learn more about that abundant life that he died to provide us with. The life of an overcomer, overcoming sin and sickness and disease and poverty and strife and all the things that are not of God. Rejection. Divorce. All the ugly that we see in people's lives. I would say... Another thing is just to trust Him. And in a way, it's tied to the first part about not allowing that space by staying close to Him and meditating on Him, magnifying Him above all things. We will learn to trust Him with all our heart. When we reflect on His love and faithfulness, it'll cause us to love Him and to trust Him. We need to trust Him. Proverbs 29, 25 Reveals a problem. It says that the fear of man brings a snare. Many, many people struggle with the fear of man instead of the fear of God. But here's the promise. The next half of that scripture says, whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. That's a perfect example. Look at... Well, we won't go there right now. I'll get off into Proverbs and we'll start talking about something else. But it's fear or faith. We need to learn to put more trust and confidence in God than we do the devil. We have a lot of confidence in the devil. Oh, it's flu season. Oh, I always get sick. Why would you say something like that? Why would you, why would you curse yourself that way? 
We need to have more confidence in the Lord and his promises. By Jesus' stripes, you were healed. I don't care about you. I'm sick. I care about you were healed. If you were healed, you remain healed. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He did it for one. He'll do it for you. He's no respecter of persons, is he? That means he loves you as much as he's ever loved anyone. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. He either sees Adam or he sees Jesus. And if you've been born again, then he sees Jesus. Pure gold. And he attributes or puts on account for you everything that Jesus has earned on your behalf. So quit trying to earn a relationship with God. Just receive the one that Jesus has provided you with. Fear of faith, God or Google. <laughs> I'd say all the time, more people, they run to Google first before God. I have nothing against Google. I love technology. There's a lot of great information out there. Sure saves us a lot of time. But I think we should go to God first is all I'm saying. Everything first with God. The first fruits of everything that we have. That's why he taught us about the tithe. The first tenth. Not, not the scraps you have left after you pay all your bills. If there's anything left, you tip God like you're at a restaurant. No. The first fruit. That means when you have bills for $3,000 and you have $2,800 in the bank, you tithe. If you're wise... If you want to participate in the plan that God has made for your life for finances. He's done the same with everything. When you're complaining about time. Because everything's in seed form. Not just money. But remember, it's a, it's, he's a God of percentages. What did he say about the widow's might? She gave all. But she, he, she gave what? More than all the others. Although they mentioned specifically the rich man that were... Given the bundles of loot, right? But she gave more than all because he's a God of percentages because she gave all. So the same with us. Our time is in seed form. We are stewards of God's time and his grace and all the wonderful things that he's given us with the talents and abilities he's given us and how we're going to spend that time how are we going to spend that money what we're going to do with everything that he's put in our care we're going to be held accountable for and if we're wise though because the the principle of sowing and reaping is going to last for how long as long as this world is is here seed time and harvest will be here isn't that what it says so if we're smart we will sow seeds of Love, of peace, of joy and kindness. Blessed to be a blessing to others. And then we, sowing those things in faith, we can count on a harvest. And if you've been mean as a snake your whole life, and then you're wondering (laughs) why some things are happening in your life, well, you're just... Reaping a harvest of some of the seed that you've sown. But now that you know the Lord, if you're wise, you can start believing for crop failure, for some of those negative things from your past, 
and begin to sow good seed and watch God work in every area of your life. God or Google. God or the government. You know, our government was never supposed to be our God. And those who have taught people to become completely dependent upon a government, they are not their friends. Millions are misled, deceived, and deceiving others. And what they need is the real church, the real body of Christ, because we're the only light in the world. And it's time that the church set itself apart and stop looking so much like the world. When someone meets you, they may not know exactly what it is, but they need to know that there's something very different about you. And it shouldn't be something bad. <laughs> I had a guy sit across from me one night at a, our kitchen table. He was there to help us to sell a house. Never met him before. He was recommended by someone. He just couldn't quit staring at me. A couple of hours. Got all the paperwork done, but he was very distracted. And it wasn't like that. He wasn't funny or anything. But at the end, he says, I want what you have. And by then, the Lord had shown me some things. And I said, I know. Well, you can have it. It's free. And, you know, this is a guy that was raised in a denominational setting where he went through the motions but never really had experienced God like... like uh, like you can, and uh, well, now he has, and we've been fast friends ever since. But that's the kind of thing that that should be a regular occurrence in the life of a Christian, someone who's really walking with the Lord. It, there needs to be something noticeably different about you. We have a peace that transcends all understanding because we have the very mind of Christ, and the peace, love, and joy that has been provided is ours as a as a fruit of the spirit an abiding fruit within us we're living at a a great time in history we're no longer searching for the promised land but we are living in the land of promises i'm not talking about the united states or houston texas i'm talking about spiritually we have come to know what all of those Old Testament prophets were longing to know, who is not a thing, but a person, Jesus Christ. That old covenant was written in a time when they couldn't even walk into the presence of God without dying. One priest, once a year, remember, with a rope tied around his leg. In case he died, if he had sin in his life, and then they had to what? Drag him out. They couldn't go in after him. But now we can run right through the torn curtain of Jesus' body, right into the throne room of heaven, right into our daddy, the CEO's office, in the middle of any meeting. Abba. Oh, man. If we only read the Old Covenant to see what we've been delivered from because of the blood of Jesus. Oh, how thankful we should be. 
even though we're living in a time when people can freely come to know Jesus, can participate in all of the blessings of the new covenant, our inheritance as children of God, still God says in Hosea 4.6, my people are perishing for a lack of knowledge or a lack of knowing me. It's what he was talking about. By the millions, this is happening. We have to learn to shine brighter than ever. But in order to help others, that acronym that is the what stands behind this little church, the help, heal, empower, love, and prosper the body of Christ, we have to receive these things ourselves so that we can help others, don't we? I tell the story about the oxygen mask dropping down in the the cabin of the the jet airliner, and they say, what, if you have a, a small child or someone with you that can't take care of themselves, what do they say? Put the mask on them first? No. It says, put it on yourself. Why? To neglect the other? No, so that you have this, the ability, so you're strong enough that you've been helped. Now you can help the others, you see? That's how it is. The same way with a, a lifeguard, you know. You have to, well, it's not the same point I'm making, but we have to learn to to let go in a sense, you know. Because when the lifeguard goes out, he knows that if someone is flailing and fighting, not to approach them in the water. Because he could get knocked unconscious as well. And then wouldn't be helped to anyone. They'd both drown. Have to wait until they submit or surrender. And then he can grab them and take them to shore. That's how we have to teach people. They have to come to the end of themselves to find God. So many people still searching, trying to find themselves, you know. (laughs) Well, you keep searching, but you're not going to find what you're looking for until you get the end of all that. We have to really be disciples and to help others to learn to agree with God. Renew our minds. Romans 12, 1 and 2. God says, renew your minds according to the word. So that you can discern what is, what is his will. We can know God's will for our life. Ephesians 5, 10 says, find out what pleases God. If it weren't true, he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't say. So now we know God. We we can, we can learn all there is. And he says, there, there's going to be more and more great things that I want to teach you about me that you never knew. Wonderful things. Jeremiah 29, 13. Jesus pri- tried so hard to prepare his disciples before he went to be with the Lord. He tried to pre- prepare them emotionally and spiritually, not to panic, just to believe and to trust and and no matter how many times he told them, they acted like they, didn't, they couldn't hear him. They couldn't understand what he was talking about for some reason. He wanted them to be heaven-minded and not, not so focused on the world. And that's what's the biggest help to a Christian. If we can just keep looking up, not to the point where we just don't do anything here in this life. You know, like some have gone and camped out on a mountaintop and wore white cowboy hats waiting for the... The Lord to return in a spaceship or something. That's, that's, that's weird, you know. We should be better at everything because we're Christians. 
But we want to keep our minds stayed on the Lord. The Bible teaches us that God will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Him because we love Him, because we trust Him. Galatians 5.22-24 through 24 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Walking after the Spirit, being mindful of God, esteeming God more highly than we do the things of this world. In that case, peace... Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All these things are manifest in our lives. These are abiding fruit of the Spirit. And we have all the peace, love, and joy we'll ever need for this whole life. We just need to learn how to draw on it by walking in and after the Spirit. Keeping our mind, which is simply just agreeing with God. Agreeing with the Word of God. Agreeing with the Holy Spirit who's trying to lead us and navigate us through this world to our final destination with our heavenly bridegroom. Amen? Folks, I have a lot more, but your, uh, I think your minds can only absorb as much as your seats can endure, so maybe we'll cut it short. It seems warm in here. I should have turned the air on. But anyway, we've made some good ground here today, and I think that uh, I think we'll finish up the rest next week as we begin to approach Easter. Like I said, we're two weeks away, so everyone needs to be mindful of, you know, read through the Gospels during this time. Walk with Jesus. Learn about Him. Get closer to Him and His His walk through this life and how He kept his mind so focused on the things of God and what God wanted for him. And, you know, they, they would have made him king at one time. And he broke away knowing what they had in mind. And he went and, went and was alone. Went and prayed to God. He didn't, he didn't want to do it his way or, God, you know, the world's way. He wanted to keep committed to his father's way and to... The plan that God had because why? Because he looked past the cross, past the past the torture and past the ridicule and past the shame. And he saw you. He saw all of us and it was worth it to him. So we're thankful. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We love you and uh, we thank you for being here. Father, thank you so much for loving us the way that you do so perfectly, for showing us by giving us all, everything that you had, just as the widow gave her last might, you gave your one and only son. We thank you, Father, that for a moment you temporarily bankrupted heaven by giving us your one and only son, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for the many. We are thankful to be counted in that number that our names are written in the book of life. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to teach us, to protect us, that your favor surrounds us as a shield. In Jesus' name, amen.